Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Father in heaven, we thank you that though we deserve your just anger, that it's been turned away because of Christ, who propitiated your wrath against us, and now we are your adopted sons. We pray, Lord, as we continue what your word says, to learn what your word says about anger, that we would become men of humility and grace, and you would help us to have self-control and to walk in the Spirit so that we would exude the fruit of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the founder of the modern biblical counseling movement, Jay Adams, wrote that anger, he said, is involved probably about 90% of all counseling cases. And I don't disagree with my mentor very often, but I don't know what the 10% of counseling cases are that don't involve anger. Uh, We see anger in the world. We see road rage. We see athletes, sometimes even attacking officials or each other. Uh, And then where I think of it in terms of this counseling, I'm just going to give you a few scenarios that I've dealt with where I have a guy called Angelo and his wife had gotten into a uh, serious interactions with another man, didn't become fully sexual. She seemed to be repentant, but he keeps blowing up. Like he said he forgave her, but then when things go badly, he starts calling her really horrible names and says he's going to divorce her and it's over and starts shouting at her. Then on the other hand, the lady, I think her real name was Grace, where she just felt like her husband wasn't paying enough attention to her. And she would kind of nag him and fuss at him. And finally, she became so angry, she took this big vase on the top of the stairs and threw it down the stairs, and it shatters, and she's just out of control mad. And her husband is wondering, do I need to get the kids out of here? Are they in danger? Uh, Neighbors heard the crash, called the police one time. Uh, Another example would be, I'll call her June, married to Peter. And Peter's one of these guys, like you'll sometimes see in churches, uh, all about Ephesians 5.22, never got as far as Ephesians 5.25. You know, everybody, his wife needs to submit to him, his kids need to submit to him, very controlling, and yet no respect for people, his elders or his boss or the government, anybody else. And he's always mad at everybody. And one day, your kids are grown, and, and Peter comes home, and June is gone. She's left a note saying, I can't make you happy anyway, and so I'm leaving. One more is, I'll call him Scott, and this is a friend of mine, Scott, and he had worked in industry and was excited when Rusty, who was a believer, has a small company, and he was going to go work for Rusty. How exciting it's going to be to work for another believer. But Rusty has outbursts of anger where he will shout at employees in front of others. Uh, Rusty actually has a vocal identity as a Christian in the community. He gives lots of money to charities and churches. And although he does have kind of a pattern of moving from church to church. But my friend Scott said, you know, when I was working for a non-Christian 
company. I was treated with more respect than I'm being treated now by this guy. Say, so, well, how do people act that way? And then, of course, thinking in the context of family, there's a lot of anger between husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, children and parents. And uh, if you ask these people that I just mentioned, most of them would simply say, well, it was, you know, this person has wronged me, and I'm frustrated, and you know, like Rusty would say, I'm a driven individual. I have like, high expectations of our company, and you know, if we're going to be successful and people are going to keep their jobs and we can keep giving to charity, we got to perform better. And then the question would be, well, how can people change? And my guess is, this is such a big issue for men, that's one reason why you got this one and your wife's got something else. But um, not that they're not angry sometimes, I'm sure you know. But um, men are prone to this, and sometimes it does become even, you know, there's so much talk about abuse and mistreatment, and anger, in a sense, lies behind that, and it can become very dangerous. Proverbs 25, 28, I believe it says, the proper verse says, like a city with the walls broken down is a man who has no control over his anger. So our, our anger can be a scary thing, and we need to be very careful. Now, in the world, they have what they call anger management in psychology. And actually, one thing I'm going to do in this talk is contrast how the American Psychological Association deals with anger management compared to what the Bible says. And as I mentioned last night, I think secular psychology can make profound observations of human nature, and often they've got money to do research and all that. But their interpretation is going to be flawed because of their bad worldview, and their solutions going to be flawed because of their bad worldview. They don't understand who we are as human beings, as made in the image of God for His glory, but fallen in need of redemption. So their solutions pale in comparison. So even in terms of okay, understanding anger, what is anger? Anger sometimes is something that's even hard to put into words, like I know when I feel angry. Uh, your wife can probably smell your anger and sense your anger to some degree. The American APA, American Psychological Association, called anger is an emotional state that varies in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. Uh, Robert Jones has written an excellent book on anger. It says, anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Um, or a more brief definition would be, anger is an emotion which arises out of a judgment. And one thing that I realize about anger is that all anger seems righteous to the person who's angry. And actually, I think the, we even, the reason we get angry is we're made in God's image. Now, we've corrupted that. But we have this sense of injustice. When someone cuts you off in traffic, when someone cheats you financially, when when your spouse doesn't show you respect or meet your expectations. It's like there's a sense that the balance of justice is wrong, and anger is sometimes what we try to do to even things out. And James 1.20 actually references that. It says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, but in our fallenness we think a little anger will achieve the righteousness of God. And so... You know, we get angry that we've been treated unfairly, and really what we're trying to do, sadly, is revenge. And I will confess, I've been 43 plus years in a very happy marriage, but in those times when Caroline disappoints me, doesn't understand what I want, you know, she's a sinner also, believe it or not, that I'm tempted 
to focus on where she did not meet my expectation. And I'm ashamed to say I want to punish her. Now, I've never hit her, yelled at her, but just being a little grumpy, you know, a little distant, not making eye contact, that's me in our context expressing anger, and it hurts her. Uh, the Bible teaches what psychologists have also recognized that anger has a, a physical component. We are embodied souls. And so, you know, when, when Moses, when in Exodus 32, when they made the golden calf, it says, as soon as Moses came to the calf, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned. Do uh, you ever feel something when you're angry? Yeah, physically. Uh, when Cain became angry in Genesis 4, it says his countenance fell. Uh, APA says, like other emotions, anger is accompanied by physiological and biological changes. When you get angry, your heart rate and blood pressure go up, as do the level of your energy hormones, adrenaline and noradrenaline. There are other biblical words used in terms of heat or muscles flaring. It's, it's all very vivid. Anger is also active. You want to do something. I mean, the, 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 what you feel inside, it wants to come out. People use like a volcano building up the pressure. Uh, when Moses, in Exodus 32, when he came to the camp and saw the calf, it says he, you know, he took the calf. What did he do with it? He burned it. He ground it into powder, scattered over the surface of the water, and made the people drink it. He expressed his anger. Is anger sinful? No. Yeah, usually, you guys are well taught. Uh, I'm not going to fool you. Right. We know it's not sinful because God gets angry. In Psalm 2, uh, it speaks how God will speak to the rebellious kings in his anger. Uh, at the end of the psalm, it says, Kith the son, lest he be angry. Uh, he will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury. Uh, it talks about in Deuteronomy, the anger of the Lord would burn against the land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. He is righteously angry with sin. I use the word propitiate in my prayer. How many know what propitiate means? And turn away anger is what it means. And, and so if God is righteously angry against our sin, and it's only that His anger is turned away through Christ's sacrifice for us, that anger is dealt with. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, um, it, in, in Mark chapter 3, it says, looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And of course, there's the famous example clearing the temple, and He's turning over tables, and He says, zeal for my Father's house will consume me. But I would also say that righteous anger is relatively rare. And as I said, it always seems righteous to us. Uh, and Robert Jones in his book uh, about anger, uprooting anger, gave three characteristics of righteous anger that I found to be very helpful. One is that a real sin has taken place. Um, and so there really has been something wrong done. Somebody, your child lied to you. Uh, whatever other example you want to use. The second would be our passion is for God's glory, not merely our own. We're, you know, the question is, are you upset because God didn't get what He deserves, or are you upset because you didn't get what you want? And most of our anger is really when we don't get what we want. So uh, a friend of mine used to say that it depends on whose ox gets gored. And you know, when something bad happens to somebody else, well, that's too bad. But boy, if it happens to me, all of a sudden that's extremely important. And the third would be that anger must be righteously expressed. 
So I think of abortion as an example. It's a real sin. It's a sin against God when made in His image and this taking of life that God only has a right to do. But then if you go blow up an abortion clinic, shoot an abortionist or something, that's not a righteous way. You've not been authorized by God to execute judgment that way. So it is fairly rare. Anger is also very deceptive. Hebrews 3.13 says we need to encourage each other daily as long as it is called today, lest we be captured by the deceitfulness of sin. And we can rationalize our anger. We often just rename it, right? I'm not angry, I'm frustrated, disappointed. And kind of we know as Christians, if I admit I'm angry, I'm probably in trouble. Now sometimes people, when they're angry, they'll say something really bad. So, like, I didn't really mean it. Is that true? No. Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, I believe it is, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You may not believe now what you said then, but you said it because it was in your heart. And that just shows how wicked our hearts can be. Uh, that's one scary thing about people with dementia is stuff in their heart doesn't have a filter and sometimes it comes out in dangerous ways. Uh, oftentimes people blame their anger on others. And you'll hear the expression, you made me angry. Uh, what's wrong with that? It's not true. It's not true. Why isn't it true? Your sin is on you. You can't blame your sin on somebody else. Right. Brought that anger out. Right. It's like you squeezed the bottle and found out what was inside. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, That which proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, etc. That our sin is because of our sinful hearts. And then the passage I like to use with people, especially is Galatians 5.16. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You know, we live in a world where we're going to be provoked until the Lord returns or we're dead. You're going to have every relationship you have, there are going to be times when they let you down and you don't get what you want. And what I'll, I'll say to other people, or sometimes to myself, is that when somebody does something, it's really a test if, am I walking in the Spirit, then by the grace of God I'll show love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I'm in the flesh, the deeds of the flesh include outbursts of anger and dissensions and, and factions. And so uh, it's interesting in the context in Galatians 5.15, he's concerned. In the structure of Galatians, for four and a half chapters, he's really just refuting the false teaching of the Judaizers and is saying how justification is by faith alone, but then... In the middle of chapter 5, he, like he often does, Paul switches to here's the application. And he says, don't, use, don't misuse your liberty. The law is fulfilled that you love one another. But then he says, if you bite and devour one another, be careful that you're not consumed by each other. That's verse 15. And then he, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's really in the context of relationship. And so if you're angry, it doesn't mean that the person hasn't sinned against you. But the real need is that you would be walking in the Spirit to deal with those kinds of temptations. Um, boy, it would be now 35 years ago when I was in seminary, I was in a church where the pastor had a major anger issue. And uh, I was a seminary student and intern. And he told the elders that there's this one guy, this one elder that was the one who always made him angry. And if it weren't for that guy, he'd be fine. And then the elder actually was willing to step down for a year 
and just go on sabbatical for a year and stay out of things. Guess what? Did that solve it? No. He was still, the pastor was still himself. And so he's shouting at the congregation and dressing people down. And that's before we left and started a new church. That's another story. Um, and, and so we, we can't blame it on others. We can't blame it on genetics. Um, upbringing, those can be influences. And you, you, there are some people, like, I mean, when you have kids, right? You even notice that there's some kids that just seem to come out of the womb with an attitude. Uh, there are some people in families where there's a lot of conflict. The psychologists will talk about that. Those may be influences, but they're not determinative. You get the point? So you know, my dad was a person who expressed himself a lot through sinful anger, and that was what was modeled for me. Whether he passed it on genetically, I have no idea. But I certainly had it by example. And so when I was converted, again, what had to happen, but as, you know, beginning to walk with the Lord, that change became possible. Uh, the Bible also says anger is dangerous. Uh, my adult children have enjoyed uh, some of the adventure of whatever they, Marvel movies or something. And there's one character who exemplifies what anger is like. And who is that? The Hulk, right? Like mild-mannered Bruce Banner, and then something annoys him, and you know, something gets him upset, and he turns green and becomes gigantic and starts breaking things and potentially hurting people. I think one reason why that image works is because that's exactly what does happen, that I can become the Hulk. Not literally, but in my heart. And anger is dangerous. In Matthew 5, famous, most famous passage probably on anger, in verse 21, Jesus says, You've heard that the ancients were told that you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder is liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, will be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And so, John, 1 John 3, 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And it's just like what Jesus says later in Matthew 5 about adultery, that lust is adulterous. Anger is murderous. I think there are degrees of heinousness in sin, in that someone who had a lustful thought is not liable to the same penalties as the person who literally committed adultery. But part of the problem, too, like James says in chapter 1, is lust conceived gives birth to sin, and sin results in death. That if you allow the concept, conceived embryonic sin to continue, it will become worse. And people say things that hurt. And I've been in counseling sessions where one spouse will say something to the other. You know, I wish I'd never married you. I hate you. I'm repulsed by you. Um, with his mouth, the proverb says, a man destroys his neighbor. In Ephesians 4, not the section Mark got to this morning, but in verse 26 and 27, the Lord tells us, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give the devil an opportunity. And that's scary. When you allow yourself to indulge in anger, you're giving the devil an opportunity. I, many years ago, counseled a guy in Escondido, California, who was a former gang member who'd come to faith. And he'd been in drugs and gang and everything else. He came to faith, he married his girlfriend, they had the baby, and he's trying to you know, lead a fairly straight life. But he had a bad temper. 
and his wife, who also, I mean, she wasn't the vision of maturity and perfection. Uh, she was from a pretty rough background as well. And he would get very, very angry, and it could become dangerous for them, for their marriage. And, you know, he would leave, which was better than hurting somebody physically, but it was, it was a bad thing. And so I gave him an analogy. I said that if someone was trying to get into your house and hurt your wife and your child, what would you do? Well, I, I'd fight him, and I'd, I'd do whatever it takes. He's a tough guy. I said, don't you realize that your anger is like leaving the door open for the devil himself to come into your house? And that it's dangerous and it's destructive. Uh, right now I'm counseling a man uh, in his 40s, very successful in his business that he owns, but he's a super intense guy. And you know, some of that is why he's successful in business. But it comes out to his wife and to his kids, and his wife, who I think is a godly woman, has told him that his anger is so destructive that she has threatened to ask him to go live somewhere else until it could change. And it's been destructive in his relationship with his teenage son who uh, is just pushing him away. So it can cause harm. I've already mentioned those given, who give in to anger at risk of losing control, Proverbs 25 eight. You know, like a, a city with the walls broken down as a man who has no control over his spirit. And you think of Jericho, right? You know, when the walls were up, you couldn't get in. When the walls were down, the enemy comes in. When you give yourself over to anger, uh, anger can lead to all kinds of other sins. It can become very controlling. I've seen people break virtually every one of the Ten Commandments out of anger. Angry at wife, commit adultery, look at porn. Um, it, It has very destructive tendencies. It can lead to many of the sins. It says a hot-tempered man, the proverb says, abounds in transgression. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And then anger can be contagious. Uh, Proverbs 22 says, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. When I was about 15 years old, I made some new friends at my school and uh, we started playing golf together and I learned to cuss. Because <laughs> golfing, I think, for some people that just goes with cussing, <laughs> which is why I don't play much golf anymore. But anyway, it was right before I became a Christian. But I remember just, I hadn't cussed before, but being around these guys who were always cussing and getting angry when things went wrong, I became like them. Interestingly, around that time, God saved me. And I remember just noticing months later, I don't cuss anymore. It wasn't even I said, I need to stop doing this. It's almost like the Lord changed me, at least to that degree. Now, there are three or four other things I wish He had just knocked out of me right then as well that I'm still struggling with 50 years later. But um, anyway, so what is the cause of anger, or especially out-of-control anger? The American Psychological Association uh, says some people get more angry get angry more easily and more intensely than the average person does. Some people have a low tolerance for frustration, uh, particularly, or they're infuriated if the situation somehow seems unjust. I think that's an accurate description. That they would talk, I've already kind of mentioned this, nature and nurture, they say, there's evidence that some children were born irritable, touchy, and easily angered. Those children are called boys, generally speaking. <laughs> um, and then some would say nurture, that some you know, family background plays a role, that typically people who are easily angered come from families that have disruptive, chaotic uh, environment going on. 
I've had counselees claim that they were on medications that influenced them, made it harder to control themselves. And actually, one guy was on heavy doses of prednisone for a medical condition. And he would blow up at his wife and his kids and say, well, that uh, caused it. I'd go back to Galatians 5.16 and say, being on that prednisone may be uh, an influence, but if you're walking in the Spirit, the Lord can help you to restrain your sin. Interestingly, I had a short time when I was on fairly high doses of prednisone, and I said, I see what I was talking about. Uh, it wasn't so much that I was angry, but I became very loquacious. And I actually, I went to a conference where there was a discussion. I had a friend next to me saying, stop me if I start talking too much. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the Bible deals with anger primarily as a sin issue, realizing the exception for the righteous anger. Uh, Colossians 3.8, it says, Now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. So it, it's not merely nature or nurture. It's, it's sin, which is something that typically psychology doesn't really have in their vocabulary. Um, and it's something they need to be repented of. The Bible teaches, as we've already seen in Mark 7, anger is something that comes from the heart. Uh, Jesus also talked about this in the context of loving your enemies. He said, you know, anybody can love people who are nice to them. It's you know, the mark of the work of the Spirit when people who treat you as an enemy, that then you can still be self-controlled and, and be kind. Uh, American Psychological Association has kind of funny suggestions about managing anger that I guess I'll get to in a minute. Um, my understanding is fundamentally we get angry because we want something too much is the biblical explanation I love James 4 we'll talk about it some tonight as well but he says what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures the wage war in your members you lust and you do not have so you commit murder you are envious and cannot obtain so you fight and you quarrel you do not have because you do not ask. So he says, you, you lust, you desire something. And then when you don't get it, you kill. Now I don't think people were dropping dead all over the place literally in the early church. I think he's referring back to what Jesus said. We want something, we don't get it. And then mentally, verbally, through other means, subtly, we inflict harm and revenge on the people who disappoint us. And where this gets complicated is that sometimes the thing you want could be a good thing, not always a bad thing. And this is, I like how like David Pallison talked about idolatry, sometimes can be taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing. If you want something so badly that you're willing to sin if you don't get it, or if you're willing uh, to sin in order to get it, then that can become an idolatrous desire, which is a destructive desire. So... I one time was supervising a situation where you had a mom, homeschool mom, and she had two little kids at the stage, hoping for more, and she wanted, she was a perfectionist. She wanted the house to be perfectly neat. She wanted her small children to be perfectly well behaved. Uh, she wanted dinner to be ready at the perfect time with the perfect, you know, all the different food groups or whatever. and. And so, but in reality, what happened one day is uh, the kids are supposed to be playing quietly in a certain room and they start fighting and quarreling and there are, you know, disruptive. So she's cooking dinner. She leaves the dinner to go deal with them. 
uh, that takes time, and then she smells smoke coming from the kitchen, her perfect dinner is ruined because her not-so-perfect kids were fighting and she got distracted. And, and so the, the problem is she's tempted to wail on those kids, not in measured loving discipline for what they may have done wrong, but really as an act of punishment and revenge for them spoiling what she really wanted. I'll give you another example as men. So is it wrong for a man to want to have intimacy with his wife? No. That's not a wrong desire. But picture a scenario that actually happens sometimes. So here's a guy, he's married, and he's, he's out in the world, and he's striving to be careful. He doesn't look at bad things on his devices. He's got stuff on there to stop him if he ever gets tempted to look at bad things on his devices. He's very appropriate in his relationship with women in the workplace. He's careful with his thoughts, and he's thinking all day, I'm a married man, I'm blessed to have a wonderful wife, I'm so glad I'm married, I'm looking forward to enjoying the privileges of being married. And so he comes home, and like he, he gets home, and he helps clean up after supper, he helps do the dishes, he helps get the kids bathed and into bed, and as he's you know going and brushing his teeth, he's like, I am so glad to be married, I am so looking forward to the reward for all the great husbanding I've been doing today. And as he gets to bed, what does he find? Sleeping wine. Do not disturb sign. <laughs> and she's out. And what's he tempted to do? He wanted that so badly. And what doesn't she understand? I have needs and desires, what a good man I am, and how could you be so selfish as to conk out when and that happens fair enough. Might have even happened to somebody here, you never know. Um, of course, then that's really helpful for us to ask ourselves when we get to that in a moment. So what is it that I wanted, that I wanted so badly? And then counseling, by the way, if you just let angry people talk or abusive people talk, sooner or later, out of their mouth will come what's in their heart. They will supply the noose and the rope uh, for their own indictment. Um, one sad thing is angry people can sometimes get what they want in the short term. Abusive husbands, by intimidation, can often get their wives to appear outwardly to be submissive, to be, you know, to enjoy physical affection or whatever. But sooner or later, you're gonna if you get what you want by bullying instead of by love, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose your idol. That makes sense. You're going to alienate the people you're trying to get things from. Uh, it can happen the other way around, where a mom will say, well, my kids only do what I want when I scream at them, or my husband only does what I want when I nag him. So short term, it works, but in the end, you experience loss, what you show, you shall reap. <clears throat> now, there are various unbiblical methods of dealing with anger, uh, mentioned very briefly. You know, I've had counselees who were accused of abuse and had to go to anger management classes, and. Uh, they try to teach techniques to control anger. Um, the APA says the goal of anger management is to reduce both your emotional feelings and the physiological arousal that anger causes. Anything wrong with that statement? Nothing about the heart. It doesn't really express the understanding of anger. It's just like, how do we manage this? And they have different methods, you know, expressing your anger. We're trying to find a way you know, to shout into a pillow or at a stuffed animal and not the person you're angry with. 
um, <clears throat> doing calming exercises. They say, breathe deeply, repeat a calm word or phrase, or just take it easy, use imagery, picture a relaxing experience. And there's another, I'm just going to quote the website. When you get angry and want to call somebody a name, stop and picture what the word would literally look like. If you think your coworker is a dirt bag, picture a large bag of dirt sitting where your colleague does. And, and then it says, picture yourself as a god or a goddess, a supreme ruler who owns the streets and stores and office space, striding along and having your way in all situations while others defer to you. Actually, they're capturing there what is the heart of anger. That's what we want to be, but they're saying it favorably. Um, avoidance. If your child's chaotic room makes you furious, close the door. Um, and again, these secular methodologies don't address the issue of sin. They don't address the, the heart issues. Um, Romans 8 says how those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, they don't understand what's wrong with us, and they don't understand the answer, which is ultimately the gospel, and it cannot produce real inward change. And sadly, there are many professing Christians who have been influenced by the secular stuff and haven't looked at the scripture as they should. And actually, the pastor I mentioned that uh, from whatever, 35 years ago, he would often say, I just had to vent. Do you have a verse for that? <laughs> um, there are better answers. And it's, it's in the scriptures. So, uh, you can overcome anger by the grace of God. And you know, sometimes you know, anger management will say, uh, count to ten. You know, like, and there's actually a little bit of truth to that in common grace in that you'll see this with couples, like they'll be really, really angry at the end of the day, and then the next time they see each other is like the following morning or the following afternoon, and just almost like a piece of metal, if you just kind of give time, if it's been overheated, over time, heat dissipates. And over, generally speaking, often over time, the anger kind of calms down. But then in relationships, if nothing is solved, you kind of pick up where you left off last time, and, and the anger continues. So as I was counseling people over many years, you want to, I don't know if I have enough for everybody, but pass these out as far as we can get them. And they're on my website uh, for free download. But as I counseled so many men who struggled with anger, I would start trying to help them. I said, okay, what I want you to do, we would go through things in the Bible. I want you to write down the principles and the verses we've gone over today, put it on like an index card, and carry it around with you. And then when you're tempted to get angry, that you would learn to think about your anger in a biblical way. Uh, in John 8, 44, Jesus talks about how the devil has been a liar from the beginning and he's a murderer. And I think when we struggle with various sins and I'll include anger is that in our heart, we're telling ourselves lies. I have a right to this. It's not fair. She deserves this. Uh, and so we need to combat those lies with truth from Scripture as we, as we think things through. Proverbs 4.23 says, Go over your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. James 1 says we should be slow to anger. And one way to be slow to anger is to process these things in, in our minds. Um, and so, <clears throat> when, when you're angry, 
uh, you see on the card, they're different forms. But first, I want something too much, and that's taking us back to James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your desires that wage war in your members. And so you, you lust in and not have, so you commit murder. So ask yourself, what did I want? And you could even go back to the examples I gave in the introduction. You know, what did the, the man want? His wife had almost been unfaithful. We want a faithful wife. Uh, the, the woman who wanted attention from her husband. The boss who wanted employees who did a good job and uh, you know, met his expectations. But then when it says, I must have this, then there are problems. By the way, this is a problem. Like there are a couple popular books that have some truth, but I'm concerned would be the Love and Respect book and the Love Languages book. <laughs> and again, it, it's true that it's important. But we probably all want love and respect. But you know, it's true that some people want affirmation more, and some people like gifts more, and some people like uh, quality time or whatever the door. But the reality is sometimes you're not going to get what you want from your spouse. I think almost from the telling you, well, my wife's no good at speaking my love language. Therefore, either I'm going to get angry, I'm going to get out. Um, we have to submit those desires to the Lord. So I want something too much. The second is I am not God. You knew that. But the point being is that when, when somebody wrongs us, and we want to punish them, like the mom with her kids, uh, you know, the boss, whatever. That you know, in our anger, we want to say, you know, I want revenge. And the scripture says we're usurping God's office when we do that. In Romans 12, uh, verse 19, I believe it is, uh, that never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine; I will repay, says the Lord. In James 4, verses 11 and 12, we were in James a minute ago. I don't think I included these on the card, but you know, James warns us, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And again, I will admit, okay, in my own heart, that when my wife really disappoints me, and she's the person in life I have the most expectations of, that I have, again, I've never hit her, I don't yell, but I want to convey to her, all I have to do with my wife is not make eye contact and let her know I'm disappointed. <clears throat> and that hurts her. And <clears throat> sadly, in my sinfulness, it's like, well, you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. And it's not my place. Uh, another example of this is the famous passage where Joseph's brothers came in Genesis 50. And again, this is another example of something recorded in the Bible and you're not given a full explanation of everything behind it. And they came and after Jacob had died and they went to Joseph and said, Father said before he died that you should forgive us. Now, my opinion is, without knowing, I don't know what happened, but it seems like Jacob had plenty of time to tell Joseph to forgive his brothers before he died, if that's what he wanted him to do. Regardless, and then they, they, they fell down and begged for forgiveness. Remember the first thing Joseph said? Don't be afraid. But, and, and we all remember the second thing he says, which I'm going to get to. First thing is, am I in the place of God? Now, in one sense, I mean, he was the prime minister. He could have killed them all or 
imprisoned them or done nasty things to them. <clears throat> but he's essentially saying, I'm not in the place of God. It's not my job to punish you. You did lots of bad things. But it's not my office to take revenge upon you. I'm not in the place of God. When you're trying to punish somebody, you're playing God. That's what I'm saying. You're, I'm not judge. I'm not God. And then the, the third principle is that God has been very gracious to me. And since we've already been in Ephesians 4 a couple times, we can do verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And tomorrow morning we'll talk some about the unmerciful servant, so I'll save that for then. But to just, if I realize that I'm chief of sinners and that I deserve to be under God's wrath and that Christ has been my substitute to turn away God's wrath, I am the recipient of mercy. Who am I to expect anything? And so if, if I have received such mercy, I should be merciful in return. And I can tell you personally that when I've had struggles and people have hurt me and they've not been sorry, that as I consider my own sin and all the kindness and mercy and forgiveness God has shown me at great cost, that more than anything else puts out the fire of anger. It's, it's knowing God's love, grace, and forgiveness in Christ that enables us to be gracious to others. And then fourth is God is in control. Uh, and this is, has a couple of implications. One would be, it's the second thing that Joseph said to his brothers, right? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, so that many lives might be saved. It's kind of the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. That God works all things together for good. For those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And, and again, this, this can be challenging, but in, in the sense that if talking to a brother recently actually there's a man the, the angry man the thing we went through in a counseling a couple weeks ago was his child plays on a club volleyball team and he is convinced his child is one of the two or three best players but the coach is showing favoritism and the coach is not playing this man's daughter this man is huge but he wants to go up to the coach, who I'm sure is smaller than he is, and really let him have it for not playing his daughter enough. And you know, we've, we've talked about different angles on that, but part of it is that you know, the proverb says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it wherever he will. God, for whatever reason God has, has put that coach in charge of the team, and your daughter is not getting to play. Now, you have choices like changing teams or whatever, but... You have to realize God has allowed this for a purpose. He's in charge. And even when people hurt us or disappoint us, ultimately God has let that happen. And a problem in general with angry people is, I want to be in control. Well, you're not in control. God's in control. And understanding the sovereignty of God, it's a challenge sometimes, because sometimes God lets things happen that we don't like. And it's not our job to be controlled. The other aspect, though, would be like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. With the temptation will provide the way of escape. He doesn't put me in a situation where I must sin. And that's where sometimes you feel when you're angry that you just can't control yourself. Something's got to explode. Well, that's a lie. As you turn to the Lord, He will help you so you don't have to respond sinfully even when you're mistreated. And then finally, is the fifth one is remember who I am. 
as a new creature in Christ. And um, Romans 6.11, actually one of my many books is called Help I Want to Change, which is really developing this last point, is that if you understand first imperative in Romans, Romans 6.11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. And so it may be as a young man, I was angry. I had a bad example with my father. But I'm not that person anymore. Now I can walk in the Spirit because my old self has died. I'm no longer a slave to sin. And as I walk in the Spirit, I can grow in Christ's likeness and bear the fruit of the Spirit even when it's difficult. And that's a reality I need to remind myself of uh, almost constantly. So, um, I guess to summarize, and maybe a couple minutes for questions if you want, but uh, actually it was uh, several years ago, I had taken this talk and wrote most of what became this little booklet while I was on like a three-day church retreat. And so when there was free time, I was working on the booklet. It was almost done and um, spending time with people. And so when the, the retreat ended on a Saturday after lunch, and I've been, you know, every free minute I'm either writing or I'm with people and, you know, for pastors, elders, retreats, art, relaxation, usually you're taking care of everything. So maybe it'd be like how Mark would feel tomorrow afternoon driving home after having run everything, Mark and Kim. So we were up in the mountains in San Diego County where there was then no cell phone reception. So after being out of reception for a couple of days, we're starting to come down the mountain and Caroline's phone messages just lights up. There's a lady that Caroline has been counseling and she's in a blended family and she's just berserk because she's learned that her stepson has been having sex with her daughter. They're like 15 and 13 or something. And the police have already been informed about the possibility of statutory rape, whatever. And But she's beside herself We've not even met her husband at this point. She wants us to come over. And so all of a sudden, I mean, my desire was to come home, maybe watch some sports, rest, get ready for Sunday. Now I realize I'm going to go home, I'm going to unload the car, I'm going to change clothes, and I'm going to go over into a cesspool of human misery for the rest of the afternoon. Not too excited about that. Well, as we're coming home, we at that time still had an adult son living with us. And... You know, he was in charge of the homestead. So we get home. He's not there. But the house is an utter wreck. And, I mean, I mean, one of the most egregious things I can remember, like there's a gallon of milk sitting on the floor next to the TV and the TV's on. And he's nowhere to be found. And there's food everywhere. And it's just an awful, awful mess. And, I mean, the heart starts pounding. The blood pressure goes up. I feel myself getting hot. And having just written this, <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is calling him. And I try to call him, which was really <clears throat> not being slow to anger. And in God's providence, he didn't pick up. But then I started getting even more angry. How dare he not pick up? Having left our house in such a mess. and <clears throat> So... I then literally went through what's on the cards with my, I guess I got some more cards here if you didn't get one. I said, okay, I need to think. What did I want? Peace and quiet. Comfort, peace and quiet. And I wanted it so much, 
you know, I'm, I'm willing to simply vent anger at my son. I was ready to like put his possessions on the porch and change the locks. I was that angry. Okay, second point, I'm not God, which gets to the, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't have expectations and appropriate consequences even for an adult child, but I didn't want to just deal with that. I wanted him to suffer as much as he made me suffer. Third, God has been so gracious to me. He's not even a believer. I know my own sins. You know, Psalm 25, remember not the sins of my youth. Well, I still kind of remember my sin. How merciful God has been to me. And I'm not, you know, God has shown me such mercy. I can't hate someone who hurts me. God is in control. Actually, it became the conclusion for my booklet. <laughs> Now I've got a, a good and for the talk. The, the God has allowed this to happen, and so I need to deal with the with the strength God gives me, and not simply. I'm literally going through this in my head. And then, you know, the the last one being okay, remembering who I am in Christ. I don't have to respond. I'm not out of control. I'm not a slave to the flesh, but I can walk in the Spirit and walk through this. And literally, after I've finished processing that in my mind, He calls, and. When he calls, he says, here's what happened. He's a musician. He was sitting at home, and he got a call for a last-minute gig, paying gig, and he just rushed out the door to go earn money. I'm in favor of that as a <laughs> father of a musician. Um, and he didn't think we were coming back till that night, so he thought he'd be able to clear up the damage before he got back. Now, it doesn't mean that he shouldn't do better or there couldn't be pay for the milk or whatever, but... If, if we were able to work it through in a way that was positive and reconciling rather than my erupting in anger at him, which is what I wanted to do, it would have just th made things much, much worse. So, uh, again, we're all going to be tempted to be angry, and we need to remember that the wisdom of the Word of God, which is infinitely superior to the wisdom of the world, tells us not to suppress our anger, but actually how uh, the fires of anger can be put out, is we remember God's mercy to us, is we seek to show grace, and yes, there are appropriate ways to resolve problems, but not in anger and judgment. I only have two minutes, but better than I did the last hour. <clears throat> you want me to just close in prayer, or do you want to take a question? Anxious to see what the first question is. Huh? If you've got time for one or two. Sure. I guess not. They all want to go. Yes. Is dealing with anger on the other end of anger, is that righteous anger? Can that be righteous anger? What do you mean? Like if somebody was angry at you and you just had had enough, if you fought back, would that be righteous or is there still a chance? Is there still temptation for it to go wrong? If somebody's angry with you, and you want to be angry back, yeah, I think that there's a high likelihood if somebody's angry with me, you know, Proverbs 15, one says a harsh, if gentle answer turns away wrath, a harsher word stirs up anger. So I think his harsh words to me are tempting me, instead of giving a gentle answer, to give a sinfully angry answer. And so, yeah, I think 
one thing can lead to the other. It's also like Proverbs talks about how if you're around people who are angry, you're going to become like them sinfully. A lot of times, especially in marriages, it's learning when your spouse is angry to give the gentle answer, which my wife is really good at. <coughs> huh? That is a lot of what we're talking about. You know, when words matter most for women, but this that we try to even help model the people how okay when your spouse is saying something harsh or angry, you just say, "Boy, that was really hard for you," and you know, "I wish I could help you." Can I pray for you? Instead of "How dare you," you know, it spirals up into bad things like Proverbs fifteen one says. Yes. I've kind of had this conversation with a lot of people and like friends who are in relationships and stuff. Like a friend of mine was arguing with his girlfriend a couple weeks ago and they were screaming and yelling and whatever. But uh, I asked, or I told him that, although I've never been in a relationship, I told him I was kind of like, is it really necessary and could there have been a better way to handle that? So I guess what my question is, is does it ever really need to get to that point where you're yelling and screaming? Absolutely not. <laughs> I didn't think so. And right. he, I mean, he told me, and some other people have told me that it's just a part of part conflict. Of the is, I'm going to talk tonight and tomorrow about conflict. Conflict is inevitable, and we're going to sometimes sin within the conflict. But I used to live in California, and we would talk about the Richter scale, where you're you're going to have earthquakes, but you know you'd like a one or two point earthquake, not an eight point earthquake that knocks down buildings, and so. You're going to have conflict, but if you you want to try to apply biblical principles so that it's in a much lower level, and I'm sure there are many Christian marriages, mine included, where we still have conflict, but there has never been yelling, there never has been, and I would be quite concerned if that's happening, and I know of other situations where they are not dealing with their anger in a godly way. So there's three copies of this over there if you want to buy them one. Um, or there's a recording of this on the online they can listen to that something's badly wrong if a couple who are dating or courting are expressing themselves that way. They need some discipleship. Assuming they're both believers, they need to learn self-control, which is fruit of the Spirit, and learn wisdom with the Bible teaches for dealing with their disappointments and conflicts. Yes? Well, the conflict itself is not the sin. It's our reaction. It's Right. Well, sometimes the conflict began when somebody sinned against us. Or didn't meet our expectation. But then it spirals up when we respond sinfully, and then they respond to us sinfully. And it goes. I just have a comment. I have a friend who has this card, and he said the key to his um, success was before he got to point one, he applied uh, James 1, be slow to anger. Right. And just slowing things down and saying, okay, now what is it? Come on, one too much. That's I should really good. I should probably put that on the top of the card. Be slow to anger. I mean, I said it in the talk that. Yeah. The, but to me, it's just not just be slow to anger, but do something while you're being slow. Instead of stirring yourself up, remind yourself of biblical truth. Don't just mindlessly count to ten or a thousand, but think about how the Bible addresses your anger. Okay. Well, let me pray so we can have our quiet time. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy to us. I pray you would help us to be merciful people. I pray 
even the situation that was mentioned where you have a couple who are serious in a relationship who are losing control. I pray, Lord, that um, for situations like that, that those who are your people will learn to deal with their reaction, you know, that, that they can be angry and not sinning, that they could, uh, by your grace, become people of grace. That's what we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.